Welcome to Tom's SciCast, and I'm your host, Tom Kennedy. Now today we're going to talk about something called the endomembrane system. I know, that's a lot of words, isn't it? Endomembrane. Endo just means within, membranes means they're surrounded by membranes, and system. Hmm, system. We must have a bunch of parts working together. So what exactly is this endomembrane system? What does it do? How does it work? Why do we care about it? Why is it important for us? Well, let me start with a little story. I like food. And uh, you'll probably notice that after a few podcasts where I constantly talk about food. But imagine you're hungry and you smell some yummy pizza being cooked in the oven. And almost immediately, you begin to salivate in anticipation of that pizza because you know it's going to be good. Now, if you're like me, you know, I like the Supreme, but if you can get some bacon and green chili, that's awesome. Because green chili is like the bacon of the vegetable world. You can put it on anything. I think I'm digressing here. But the point that I'm making with this story is when you're hungry and you smell food, most of us will begin to salivate. We start making saliva. Now saliva, it's mostly water, but it also has enzymes in it. You see, when you start to chew your food, the saliva has a couple purposes. One is to kind of lubricate it so we can easily swallow it. I mean, you know, you've tried to swallow something dry. It doesn't do so well. But the saliva helps kind of moisten our food and help us swallow it. And it also has protein enzymes in it that begin to break down our food. And let's take one of those enzymes. It's called amylase. And amylase helps break down carbohydrates like starch. So the question becomes now, This is a protein. Now let's go back and think about this. Proteins are made inside of a structure called a ribosome. Now ribosomes are found inside cells and they're made up of proteins and ribosomal RNA. All cells use ribosomes to make proteins. That means every protein on this planet is made in a ribosome. But ribosomes are inside of our cells, but our saliva is in our mouth. It's out of the cells. So the question becomes, How do our salivary glands, these are cells in our mouth, how do they make amylase inside the cell and then export it out of the cell and into our mouths as saliva? And you might be guessing right now, hmm, the endomembrane system must be involved here. And if you're thinking that, you are correct. The endomembrane system, it's made of several different types of organelles and it serves a lot of purposes inside of our cells. One is that it breaks down things. Uh, It's involved with detoxifying your body. Oh, I'm not talking about the detox that you might read on Food Babe or anything like that, but I'm talking about actually breaking down real toxins inside your body, like alcohol or drugs. It's also involved with breaking down other large molecules as well. Now, of course, I started this podcast by talking about amylase. So as you can guess, the endomembrane system is also involved manufacturing different types of molecules, including both lipids and, of course, proteins. Now, proteins are the workhorses of cells. And like I said, they're all made in ribosomes. But the fate of the proteins can be really different. Now, if a protein is going to be exported outside the cell, 
embedded in a cellular membrane or located inside of another organelle, there's a high likelihood that that protein was made using the endomembrane system. Well, let's talk about the endomembrane system. It's a series of organelles that are either directly connected to each other or indirectly connected to each other. In an organelle, think small organ, just like your body compartmentalizes all the different functions it has, like you have a stomach, you've got intestines, you've got liver, heart, lungs, kidneys. Well, cells also have parts that we call organelles. Now the organelles of the membrane system include the nucleus surrounded by the nuclear envelope. Now directly connected to the nuclear envelope is the endoplasmic reticulum. Oh boy, another big word. Endo means within, plasma, okay, so it's inside the cytoplasm of the cell, reticulum. Hmm, reticulum means it's like a series of connected tubes. So that's the endoplasmic reticulum. And there are three different types of endoplasmic reticulum. The first one is the rough ER. It's easier to say ER than endoplasmic reticulum. So we get the rough ER, and it's rough because when they first took images of it back in the 1950s using a scanning electron microscope, it had all these little ribosomes attached to it. So it appeared rough. Ribosomes attached to the rough ER, it must be involved with making proteins. The other type of endoplasmic reticulum is the smooth endoplasmic reticulum. Now this has a couple different functions. One is it makes lipids like cholesterol and estrogen and testosterone. It also is involved with detoxification. And like I said, when I'm talking about detoxification, I mean breaking down toxins in your body. So if you're drinking alcohol or you're doing drugs, then it's the smooth endoplasmic reticulum that's producing the alcohol dehydrogenase to detoxify your alcohol. And the third type of endoplasmic reticulum is the sarcoplasmic reticulum. I'm not gonna talk too much about that one, but that is found in your muscle cells and it holds calcium ions. And uh, you need calcium as part of the way your muscles contract. And I will talk about that in another podcast. So here we go. We've got the nuclear envelope. We've got the endoplasmic reticulum, including the rough ER, the smooth ER, and the sarcoplasmic ER. Next, we have the Golgi body or Golgi apparatus. I'll call it the Golgi body from here on because Honestly, it's just easier to say body than it is to say apparatus. And I often misspell apparatus, so I just write Golgi body. The primary function of the Golgi body is to put the finishing touches on proteins and then send them on their way. So it's like a a finishing center. Now the Golgi body and the rough ER are not directly connected to each other. So when a protein is made inside the rough ER, there's a transport vesicle that takes those proteins and will transport it to the Golgi body, where then it will go through a series of these membranes where the protein will get its finishing touches. And then from there, it will also be placed into another transport vesicle. Now I'm gonna tie all these things here together in a little bit. So the rough ER and the Golgi bodies and these transport vesicles, they're really important for protein synthesis. There are other organelles that are not directly involved with the making of proteins to be exported outside the cell. These include vacuoles. They're very prominent in plants. Vacuoles store water. So have you ever come home and you've neglected your plant and it's wilting 
and then you water it and a few hours later it's all perked up again? Well, that's because a plant's storing water in the vacuole. And as it stores water in the vacuole, it pushes up against the cell wall and it's called trigger pressure and it makes the plant look rigid. And then as the plant becomes water stress, it loses water out of the vacuoles and the plant wilts. Another very important organelle, especially in animals, is the lysosome. And I'm going to come back to the lysosome, but lyse means to split, some means body. So the lysosomes are kind of like our stomachs. They're involved with the breakdown and recycling of materials inside of our cells. And I'm going to come back to the lysosomes because they're kind of interesting. So in a nutshell, those are the major players of the endomembrane system. The endoplasmic reticulum, the Golgi body, the transport vesicles, the lysosomes, and the vacuoles. There are other organelles that are not part of the endomembrane system. Those include the peroxisomes and our two energy converting organelles, both the mitochondria and the chloroplast. I'm not going to talk about mitochondria and chloroplast too much in this podcast. I'll save that for another day because those are really interesting organelles. But I will come back to the lysosomes and the peroxisomes. But let me get back to my original example. I began by asking the question, how does amylase, a protein made inside of our cells, get out into our saliva? How does it get into our mouth when we start salivating? Well, let me go through the process here. Now I'm gonna add in a few extra steps, mainly because I think it's really interesting. But let's start. You smell that pizza and you've got these receptors in your brain and they can detect particles in the air and your brain receives it and goes, mmm, that's pizza. Wait, I'm hungry, yum. So then your brain sends a signal to your salivary glands and your salivary glands, they receive this signal and what it causes them to do is start a process called transcription. I haven't really mentioned transcription before, but if you remember, DNA houses all the information to make every protein for every living organism. Your salivary glands are no exception. They have DNA that stores information to make amylase. So when we transcribe that information, what we're doing is we're copying that DNA onto RNA. It's like copying down your notes. Now this of course takes place inside the cell nucleus. So then that RNA exits the cell nucleus and the way it does it is through something called the nuclear pores. Those are little openings and the nuclear envelope. Remember the nuclear envelope is a membrane that surrounds the nucleus. It's actually a double membrane and nuclear pores are really very large protein complexes that serve as the gatekeepers allowing things to come in and out of the nucleus. I digress, let me get back. So here's this messenger RNA, it's called mRNA. It exits the nucleus through the nuclear pores and it goes out into the cytoplasm. Now once in the cytoplasm, that mRNA is going to bind to a ribosome and it will begin translation. Now translation is where we take the information in that RNA and we make a sequence of amino acids out of it. So you can see this connection here. We've got messenger RNAs, a sequence of nucleotides. A protein is a sequence of amino acids. So we're going to translate the information in RNA into a protein. Now, because amylase is going to be sent outside the cell, translation will actually stop until that ribosome wanders around in the cytoplasm and then docks 
to the rough ER. Remember, the rough ER is rough because it has ribosomes. Now, once that ribosome attaches to the rough ER, it's going to begin translating the information, that RNA, into a sequence of amino acids. That's making our protein. And that protein is going to be made into the lumen, which is the inside of the rough ER. And inside the rough ER, there's all kinds of proteins in there that will actually help those amino acids, those sequence of amino acids, get folded into a protein. Now that protein won't be activated quite yet, but it is getting made and getting ready to be exported outside the cell. And you can think of the rough ER, the ribosome and the endoplasmic reticulum here together as like a car manufacturing plant. You're piecing together the car. You're piecing together the protein, but it's not finished yet. It doesn't have those finishing touches. The car might not have the paint job on it. It might not have the trim. It may not have the radio put into it. The protein isn't finished either. So then, so then that protein will enter into a transport vesicle and it will leave the rough ER and get moved. This is not actually random. There's little motor proteins on those transport vesicles and they actually walk down a microtubule, which is part of the cytoskeleton, to the Golgi body. Now, once it merges with the Golgi body, it's going to put the finishing touches on those proteins. It's going to fold it into the right position. It's going to activate it. And it's going to tag it to where it needs to go. It's going to put a chemical tag on it saying, you need to go here. And in the case of amylase, it's going to be tagged to be exported outside the cell. So once it gets processed inside the Golgi body, it's going to be put into another transport vesicle and it's going to be transported to the outer membrane of the cell where then it will merge with that cell and the cell will actually have more membrane and then it will release that amylase into your saliva, which is part of your mouth. So there you have it. That's how amylase in your saliva gets made and then transported outside of your cells. That's pretty cool stuff, isn't it? So that's basically the overview of how the endomembrane system is important for creating a protein to be exported outside the cell. Now, earlier, I mentioned another part of the endomembrane system, and that is the lysosome. And remember, lys just means to split, some, some means body. These are little digestive organelles, and they actually have several different functions inside the cell. But importantly, they contain digestive enzymes to break down all kinds of things. And you don't want those digestive enzymes floating around in the cytoplasm because you start breaking down the inside of your cell. So we house them in the lysosome. Now, lysosomes are involved with breaking down things like food. So imagine if a cell brings in a large food particle or even it engulfs another cell. That's exactly what our immune system does. It can actually engulf other cells. And then it will form a vacuole around that cell. And then it will merge with a lysosome. And the lysosome will release all these digestive enzymes to break down that cell or that food particle. But there's another thing that our lysosomes do that's very important. And it's called autophagy. Oh no, another word again, right? Auto just means self. Phagy means eating. So this would be self-eating, autophagy. Our cells age and our bodies age as well, right? And you've seen aging. I mean, look at a five-year-old kid. They're running around like a little berserker. They got tons of energy. A puppy has tons of energy. Grandparents, they're over there sitting in the chairs going, oh, I wish I had so much energy. 
Or, compared to puppies, old dogs don't have as much energy. Why is that? Well, autophagy is important here. You see, our mitochondria make ATP. We know that. They're the powerhouse of the cells. Now, of course, they are more than just a powerhouse of the cell. But for this example, mitochondria make ATP. And they can grow inside of our cells through binary fission. Now, as our cells age, mitochondria will also age too. And as they age, they become a little damaged. They don't work as well. They don't make as much ATP. So, if you have a bunch of mitochondria in your cells not making as much ATP, guess what? You have less energy. Now, here's where the lysosome is important. Going back to that autophagy again. Lysosomes turn over organelles. They will literally digest the organelles of your cells, including the mitochondria. Now, in recent years, we've made some pretty big discoveries about aging. Aging is caused by many, many, many different things. It's not just one thing. And all of these different factors that cause aging work together to cause our demise. Now, one of them is this lysosome and autophagy. As our cells get older, the rate at which lysosomes turn over mitochondria slows down. So as we age, we build up older mitochondria producing less ATP, so we have less energy, we're less active, we get less exercise, our muscles atrophy, and we continue this downward spiral. This is interesting because when we study lysosomes, there's actually reasons why they start doing less autophagy as they get older. And one of the tricks we can do is we can reset that clock. We can get those lysosomes to pick up their rate of autophagy and start turning over those older organelles. And we can actually make those cells appear much younger. That's awesome. That is one way that we may be able to extend our lives a little bit and also extend the quality of our life as well. Could you imagine having lots of energy as an older person? Uh, maybe not. I know as I get older, I've noticed that I have to keep up my exercise. It gets harder as you age. One point that I often like to make when I'm teaching this stuff in class is, you know, I present the, the endomembrane system. Here's this list of organelles. Here's what they do. And it sounds like we know everything about the cells. And the fact is, we do not. And in fact, studying cell biology is still a current area of research that's getting lots of funding because it can help us understand the aging process and how we might slow it down. Studying mitochondria, we can learn about infertility. I know, that's pretty wild, isn't it? Infertility by studying mitochondria. And then going back to our aging, Birds and bats are really, really active animals, and they don't really age very much. Well, they do, but a bat can live 20 years. A mouse of the same size lives about a year and a half to two years. Birds are similar too. And in fact, uh, there's this really great series of photographs where this ornithologist, this guy that studies birds, captured a seabird called a northern fulmer, and he caught it in his 20s and banded it. And then he kept you know, doing banding all his life, and he caught that bird in his 30s, his 40s, his 50s, and his 60s. That bird was 40 years old, and he was still catching it. The scientist clearly aged. The bird looked exactly the same as it did 
40 years earlier when it was first caught. Birds show very little signs of growing old. We call that senescence. Senescing is growing old. So why do birds show very little signs of senescence, whereas we continually age throughout our life? Now, birds do age. They get near the end of their life and they, they die very quickly within a few months of muscle wasting. But why is that? And it turns out that we could actually study mitochondria, another organelle, to understand why birds don't age as much compared to other mammals. That's interesting. That's exciting to me. The birds just don't get the oxidative damage that our cells do. So this is why studying our organelles is very important because we still don't know a lot. In terms of aging, there's also understanding cancer. Cancer is an uncontrollable growth of cells. Now our bodies are multicellular organisms and we are made up of trillions of cells that all work together and they have to be controlled. When do you live? When do you die? And in fact, our cells have a kill switch in them. It's called programmed cell death, otherwise known as apoptosis or apoptosis. And the mitochondria are very involved with apoptosis. So cancer is basically cells that have mutated. They've lost their identity as whatever cell they once were. And they begin to grow uncontrollably. Basically, they've evaded apoptosis. Well, mitochondria are involved with apoptosis. And that's important because understanding its role in apoptosis and how cells can mutate to avoid apoptosis is very important. So that's another reason why we need to study cell biology. Another good reason is studying chloroplasts in plants. Chloroplasts are the organelles inside of plants where photosynthesis occurs. And if we can figure out ways to improve the efficiency of photosynthesis or do something that photosynthesis does, which is splits water into hydrogen and oxygen. Wow, if we could do that cheaply, we could use hydrogen gas as an energy source. That would be amazing. Or we can learn how to engineer biofuels. Now, the last organelle that I want to talk about is the peroxisomes. And when I first learned about them in the 1990s, nobody really knew what they did. They were discovered in 1950s, and we're still trying to figure these guys out. Are they part of the endomembrane system? Are they not? We do know that they can butt off of the endoplasmic reticulum, which would seem to indicate that they are part of the endomembrane system. But these organelles can also replicate inside of our cells as well. So what exactly do they do? We do know a little bit. One thing about eukaryotic cells, they use oxygen, or at least most of them do. That's how they make all their ATP, right, in the mitochondria. They need oxygen to do that. But oxygen forms these things called reactive oxygen species, ROSs. Oh man, I can't help myself. Don't confuse an ROS with an ROUS. ROUS is a rodent of unusual size found in the fire swamps. That's the Princess Bride for anybody wondering. But let's get back to these ROSs. These are reactive oxygen species. You see, because we use oxygen, it's great. We have lots of energy from all the ATP we can produce, but there's a price to be paid. And that price is we build up oxidative damage. So one of the things that peroxisomes do is they help detoxify these ROSs by reducing them. Now, more on reduction oxidation, but basically they reduce them by adding on electrons to them and it makes them less reactive. Now, peroxisomes not only protect our cells from oxidative damage, 
by reducing ROSs, they're also important in metabolism. You see, we get these long chains of fatty acids and they'll help break down those fatty acids into shorter ones. And then those are exported to the mitochondria. So there's some crosstalk going on between the peroxisomes and the mitochondria. Once again, I find that fascinating. And lastly, it turns out that peroxisomes might be important as an antiviral defense against pathogens. So clearly, there's more to discover about that fascinating organelle, the peroxisome. All right. Well, I hope that you learned a little bit about the endomembrane system today and that you find it a little bit more interesting than when we started this. Well, this has been another episode of Tom Psychast. Until next time.